Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the 38th Kessel Run Comics Podcast. This is your host, Macadelic, and co-host, Skelly Boy. And as always, we're back again this week with more delicious Chom Entertainment. And yes, I know I always say delicious, but that's just a great adjective, you know? I guess. It feels if you good. Really like it. it just feels good. It's you almost like, really like that well, see, if I was Hispanic, I would say delicioso. But see, like me doing that, like as a white guy, is kind of, ugh. I mean, I don't it's iffy. Know. But I like delicious. You could switch it up sometimes. Yeah, I could, but you know, I gotta have my calling cards, my catchphrases. I guess. <laughs> um, I could start saying lishy, which is like kind of a me and dad and Matt and Gabe and but nobody else would get that. Just like choms, it took forever yeah. for people to pick up on choms. Yeah. But ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna jump into our top five and save the chatter for later. Save the chatter for the actual books. For number five on our list, this is obviously one of my picks. This is Star Wars number seven. Um, This is the beginning of a new story arc. In fact, um, it actually starts to focus more on what's been going on in the larger scale of things. Through the first six issues, it focused more on Luke Skywalker and his troubles and, you know, kind of the way his mental structure is working after the events of Empire Strikes Back. But I like that this is kind of, you know, blazing new trails, stepping kind of farther away from Empire Strikes Back and really starting to tell original stories. Yeah, I, you know, I do not like Star Wars. Reading this book... You could have really handed me something that was not told me it was Star Wars and just told me this was, gave me any random sci-fi name for this book and yeah. not tell me it was Star Wars. And I'd be like, I believe it. You know, like, yeah. you could have just said anything. Like, you could have just any kind of piloty sci-fi stuff. I'd been like, okay, I, yeah. I get that, you know, that. Yeah, it didn't really feel like Star Wars in the same types of ways that, like, oh, we've got a lightsaber here, or somebody's talking on the Force, or we see an X-Wing. Like, you do see ships that you know as a Star Wars fan and that sort of thing, but for one of the first times in recent memory that I can recall, this book, this issue in particular, focuses more on kind of, like, the regents and, you know, the higher-ups, kind of the, the generals and the, you know, more the militant type deal you know it's got, you've got this beef you can see here on the front cover with leia and the imperial commander zara and you kind of get like a wouldn't you say a minor origin story out of this for zara because it kind of yeah. goes into the thing with tarkin and taking her on as the protege and yeah, you get her origin and how she got to like who she is right really it's not an origin as in like her childhood where she, she came have from family yeah you know that's the thing so i mean you could you could call it an origin did you like that uh did you like that Tarkin specifically, you know, gave her the exact same order that he gave her in that test to become the protege, but this time she failed. The second time she failed. Yeah. I I feel like that was like I, I like the attention to detail. Because yeah. I feel like Imperials are like that, you know? It's very clean cut, it's this way or yeah, no way. It was very Tarkin y. Yeah. You know? So I was like, okay, I kinda seen that one coming. I agree. Well, what would you rate this one? It's the beginning of a new story arc, so this could go anywhere. But I really don't like it. Yeah, it, I, it was slow. I'm giving it a one and a half. Whoa! I would. I don't even like it as a sci-fi book. I won't hit it with a one and a half, but I will hit it just like two and a half, right in the middle, because. As a diehard Star Wars fan, I don't think I can really let stuff go into what I would consider like the negatives. If I wanted Star Wars without Jedi's and lightsabers, I'd watch Star Trek. Pretty much, yeah. Like, so, I mean, that's how I feel about it. 
also if you're more into like exploration rather than adventure. That's how I've always described like Star Trek versus Star Wars to people. It's like Star Wars is very much more about like adventure and fantasy and just kind of like, you know, the magic behind things. While Star Trek is more about like science and exploration and discovery and that sort of thing. Yeah, I feel that. Well, so with your 1.5 and my 2.5, this together sits at, that's a 4, right? Yeah, that's a 4 out of 10. Yeah. Well, that probably will work out as being our uh, number 5 on the list. For number 4 on the list this week, we have the conclusion of the Joker War. This is Batman issue 100. Like I said, this is the conclusion of the Joker War, and quite a conclusion it was. Yeah, that was it. Was an interesting three books. Yeah, because it's three books in one. It really is. But each one of them was interesting. Told a really neat story. I didn't really like some of them. Right. You know, like I really didn't like the clown killer. Did not clown hunter. Clown hunter. I did not like his ending. Oh, I I I thought you were gonna say just the story altogether. I was like, I love that we're finally getting little pieces. Like we found out his real name. I didn't like the story too much either. You yeah. Know, I feel like with that, I don't think Batman should have been the one to do it. I so was, who better, though? Like, <laughs> you know who's better? Red, Red Hood? Because think about Whoa. it. He's the, only, he's, the other, he's the only other vigilante out killing people. Right. You know? Yeah, I so got you. If, in that, my opinion, that would have been such a better Red Hood move. Right. Know? I mean, they could even get their own little, like, side thing, you know? Whoa, Red Hood and Clown Hunter? Yeah, that could be Red Hood. That would Hood's be super apprentice. cool. Oh my! That's Jekyll. Red Hood's Robin. You know, like why couldn't Tinian be listening to our <laughs> podcast right now? That like, would have been such a better play. That's what I was hoping for. That's really what I was hoping for. But well, you didn't say just, any of this to me off air. Like, well, yeah, gotta keep the heat for the podcast. <laughs> Jeez, that that in itself has got me like shook, dude. That really would be perfect. I feel like James Tinian missed the boat on that. Yeah, he might he might incite it later. I would love you know, that. Red I mean, Hood could always come visit him later. Yeah. Because he has access to the same stuff Batman does. He knows who he is. Right. Or since Batman went and talked to him and it didn't seem like he really got through to Clown Hunter, Batman could kind of be like, you know, Jason, I know we got a rocky past and, you know, you might not always like me, but, like, I kind of need your help to get this kid, like, on the right path. Like, you have to admit, you know, some of the decisions that you made early on in your Red Hood career weren't the best decisions. And we want to keep this kid from making those same ones, Right. Yeah. And then, like, Red Hood goes and visits. And, and like, that could be a huge character growth for Red Hood, you know? Him having to it really to the would. father, like, Yeah. Figure. I think like, it I would think age it would him a little amazing. bit. Like, he would he would more mature mentally, and I think think about his actions long term yeah, if that happened. Yeah, he would be Red Hood, but would, like, thinking like Nightwing. Oh, my gosh. It would be that, amazing. That parable it is would be amazing. amazing, too. I love that. Gosh. But, and they just... Yeet. Oh, there's so much to talk about. Right. With, with what Jacob said about this book, it really does feel like three stories because you get your regular Batman ending, you kind of get like a punchline ending, and you almost get like a Joker ending. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Like the Batman ending, it kind of is the Clown Hunter one. Yeah. And then, because the, it says continued in 101, and then the punchline continues in punchline number one, and then the Joker one continued, I'm pretty sure, in the next issue as well. I think. I think so. Either that or it's a one-shot or something like that. I think it is a one-shot. Either way, all of these characters, this whole storyline, it's not over. Yeah. That one gave a date. Yeah, yeah. And the other ones didn't. I think it's a one-shot. I think it's like November 11th or something like that. 
But all in all, what would you throw your rating on this one? This one's a solid three. Okay. Even even with that. For me, this one's a three and a half, only because I did, like, I really enjoyed Punchline Story. I very much enjoyed Joker's story, and I had absolutely no problems with the Clown Hunter story, other than I felt like Bruce Wayne was trying to be too much like Dad. And That's I why think I feel like I, Red Hood just would have been better. And I think Bruce I know, Wayne wasn't the character that well, Batman wasn't the character to do that. Right? Yeah, I, I think that they could have. You know, I agree with you completely. Red Hood would have been a better, you know, intervention. Or Batgirl. Yeah, or. You know, halfway through that story, whenever uh, Clown Hunter said, like, you know her, and pointed at the poster on his wall, if yeah. Batman had just dipped, you know, if it had been, like, one week later or whatever, and he had returned, but with her, then that might have that might have helped him out. Plus, that would have been some would've. comedic relief, you know? That yeah. would have been kind of funny. Yeah, that would have been funny. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, what, do you know her? And then just, like, the invisible ship uncloaks. Yeah. Outside the window. That would be wild. Like, she's just kind of sitting in midair. <laughs> I would like that. All right. Well, looks like this is your introduction. My introduction is some... God, I just love indies. Some number three? Yeah, this is some... What? Yeah, number no. three. I thought you meant the book number. I was like, oh, that's rope. But this is this is Inkblot number two. And this book is just... It's fantastic so far. If you love fantasy, then this is just... A great book and one thing that i i love the character development so far in this book i do too and I, one thing i really love is how characters are portrayed and i was really noticing this in a lot of indie books since we do have a lot more indies we do yeah oh, oh wait that's dc yeah that's DC. so it's about equal i was about to say we've got two two and one this week yeah and marvel's the one but i've been noticing a lot with indies or no, that not. they starting to they portray their characters with more diversity. Yeah, a lot more of the time. Like I noticed that there's been a lot more like females with short hair and stuff. In yeah, the indie side. Yeah, and stuff like that. And I don't know. I just thought that was like interesting. Something of note, because a lot of them that are focusing on more modern times do it. Right. But this book is medieval or fantasy. Right. And they're still doing it. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. You know? To see, like, a female elf with a buzz cut. Yeah, it was just off the wall. God, I had to keep flipping back and making sure, like, some pronouns were right. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Not only are you pointing out that uh, one of the female elves had a f- completely shaved head, you know, or just buzzed, like, super low, but all the boys in that one scene where, you know, you get your main female character elf, like, she's got all her brothers, like, sleeping in bunk beds around her. And the four of those guys all have long hair. Like, they yeah. all have what would be considered more female or more feminine because it was at least shoulder length or longer. Yeah. And that's just, I don't know. I wonder if they're, if that is just because her mom's going to be more important right. later on. If it's like the anime thing, like the character has green hair. Yeah. You know, or if it's just, if that's something about her, you know, just recollecting of her mom. Right. You know? I will say another thing about this book that I specifically wanted to touch on was at the end of issue one, I kind of felt like I knew where it was going to go in the sense of I was like, all right, the cat is the main character, even though we've got, you know, a female main character, like a human, um, a sorceress even. But the cat is the main character. The cat's on both covers. You know, the cat is who we're following for most of the story. And it proved in this one because that character from number one 
isn't even in this, but for like the first two pages. Yeah. And, and then after that, it's a brand new character. Yeah. And so the fact that I thought that it was going to be the cat and the original girl from issue one, and they were basically, she was just going to try and look after the cat, but the cat was just going to be a mischief maker and jump through portals. And every issue was going to be, you know, a couple adventures or an adventure or something like that. And it was just going to keep going like that and just be a really cool series where the cat's basically interdimensional jumping. But with it being like this and just the very next issue switching 180, I didn't even see this coming, introducing completely like a whole village of characters pretty much two of which it focused on primarily yeah. the mom and daughter but i just thought it was wild how we got a 100 100 like switch of scenery yeah well like you said in the first book the female the main character was a sorceress right now we get, they introduce the people that don't like the sorceresses yeah you know and i like how it's all in the same universe but it's just this cat going around causing little mischiefs yeah you know? It's actual magical cat, and in this book, it wasn't even. It did do some magical stuff. It wasn't nothing like issue one. Nothing, yeah, not you any know? opening portals to other yeah, places. Yeah, it was just like that cat can do some stuff type <laughs> yeah. of things. But I just really like how it's really just the cat just going around doing little magic things, and all these people that interact with the cat. You know, and it is cool. It's showing all these vast different kinds of fantasy, like groups, right. Yeah, the like first character clans was from and royalty, tribes you know? and stuff. Yeah. And now we've got a village of elves. And I just really like that, how it's bringing this world together. I do too. Also, uh, you know, I, I give some respect to uh, Emma Kubert because she uh, she has a dragon appear in this. And any time where we're doing like true blue fantasy, I always feel like a dragon should pop up. So bonus half a point for the dragon being in the issue. Nice. And on the cover. Nice. So, for me, I would say, all in all, I would rate this, like, a three. Like, I would otherwise give it a two and a half. Not because it's not impressive, but because I enjoyed issue one probably just as much as I did issue two. But, like I said, I'll give it that extra half point, make it a three, because the dragon's in the cover. And the dragon is, like, the main antagonist, I guess. Or, like, obstacle in the issue. Nice. I'm going to give it a solid three. Just because I like it just as much as I like the first one like you. And, I mean, I just, I love the book. I really want to see how the whole world comes together. Yeah. You know, because so far we've been introduced to two different parties that are feuding. And the only thing in common is they both have seen this cat. You know? What if everybody just bonds over the cat and that's and so, like the end of it? And think about it. Only one sorcerer <laughs> or sorceress knows about the cat. Yeah. All the rest of them don't know about it. True. So that's going to be interesting. See how, you know, just this one sorceress, and it's like the black sheep of them. Yeah. That knows about it. It's not even like one of the popular ones. She's right. the librarian. Like one of the ones out here doing conquests and discoveries yeah. and all that. Yeah, it's she's just librarian. a bookkeeper. Yeah. So I think that's going to be cool. Definitely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have a killer number two. This number two is actually a number four. This is Firepower. Number four, by Robert Kirkman. This book was really cool. It started out kind of slow, but um, by the end of the issue, it picks up, and it's actually really exciting, and it makes me ready for issue five. I am not going to really expound too much on what happens in the issue because, honestly, the stuff that happened in this issue relates very much to the first three issues, and if you're not reading, you're not going to get what we're saying. 
Yeah, I feel that. Everything in this issue was a follow-up. Mm-hmm. There wasn't nothing really new introduced. Just a lot of stuff was built upon. Right. You know, we got to dive into some past relationships that have been spoke about. Which was interesting. I like yeah. that. Got to see some recurring characters. And it was just a really nice... And it continued with the same... We were talking about earlier how it's interesting to see like a modern household dynamic. Mm-hmm. And we even got to see that continue, you know? And like how they deal with very real-world problems. Yeah, anybody could ever call me out on this, but I am a serious sucker for quality subplot. Like, plot is always going to be there. Like, you can't tell a story without a main idea. Yeah. But subplots don't always have to be there. And oftentimes, people don't focus on subplots as much as they do the main idea and what they're trying to tell in the story. But like we were talking about last night, about you know whether it would be good or not to introduce uh, the Thor, uh, the Natalie Portman. Jeez, um, why is her name? The Jane actual Foster? character, yeah, Jane Foster. Jane Foster may potentially you know have cancer with her role, you know, in pl- being the new Thor and. Yeah, like, that might work out pretty well, like what we were talking about. But I like when you spend time on subplots. Like, they didn't, Robert Kirkman didn't have to tell any of this story of, you know, uh, Owen's past love and how that affects his current marriage and his relationship with his kids. And I love that also you see just little things. Like, this is a C subplot. It's like he's teaching his kids. His kids actually want to learn karate now. And they are like, you know, martial arts. And they are putting time in. I think that's why I don't like The Walking Dead now that you think about it. Well, now that you like point out that Robert Kirkman is writing this and it's got really good subplot. I think my whole issue with The Walking Dead, at least the TV show, I've never read the comics. Right. Is that there's too much other stuff going on. Besides like the main focus. You know? I got you. I don't want to watch... Six different things progress in one episode. Yeah. You know? It's just, too, yeah, too hairy. Yeah, and I feel like that's my issue, because I feel like there's not enough of one thing just happening. I got you. The more subplot, the more setup you have for it, and that takes time. Right, definitely. And, and I feel like that's my issue. That's the reason why I don't have an issue with it here. I do agree wholeheartedly about what you said about Walking Dead. Watching the TV show, there was just a whole lot going on. I was like, yeah. whoa, okay, this person did this to this person. This person, you know, is on their deathbed and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, I get what you're saying, but this, I feel like, is better better done. He might have spent more time working on this subplot. Yeah. And, like, this subplot is kind of, like, campy compared to this type of stuff you're talking about in Walking Dead. Like, this is family affair compared to life or death situations. That's one thing I was going to point out is that in a family scenario, subplot is a lot easier to generate. Mm -hmm. Because anything can be subplot in a family scenario. Very correct. Just that minor, little, anything can turn into subplot. Yeah, getting suspended. Yeah, subplot, you know. And But it was good. The whole book is good, and I'm a sucker. Like, you said you were a sucker for subplot. I'm a real sucker for slice of life. Okay. Like when I was in the anime, yeah, that was one thing that my friends would always like pitch to me if they found a good slice of life anime. They were like, "Jacob, this is for you. This is something for you. It's slice of life plus." And like I was like, "That's perfect." Whoa, you know? plus. I love a nice solid slice of life plot going on, and then just bam, something extra happens, and that's what this is. Yeah, you know, this is subplot plus. I mean, this is a slice of life plus. You know. Definitely. I really like it. As we said at the very beginning of this pick, um, this was pretty much just kind of the meat and potatoes of what we imagine is going to be either the first five issues or the first six issues being making up that first arc. Um, 
they're really left in a pickle at the end of this issue, both Owen and his wife Kelly. So we'll be uh, tuning in to wait a month from now for Firepower number five. Yeah. And I get to introduce number one. Yes, you do. And oh my God, this was such a good book. This was a Jacob pick, by the way. This was. This was a me pick. And we got American Vampire 1976. And we had never read anything American Vampire on the podcast. And I haven't read any prior. And you haven't read any prior either. But this book was phenomenal to me. Just, I've never... It's the kind of book that grabs you. And it was just easy to read because it had my attention so heavily. You know, everything was just one page after another. There was plenty of dialogue. And, you know, they were explaining everything. But there was always something going on. Right. You know, every character was always in some action. And I just love it. You get to follow two characters, maybe even... Would you count Agent Poole as a character that's followed? Mm, or would you count the... No, because he only really got two pages, and we don't even know how he kind of ties in other than the fact that he works for VMS. Yeah. Would you count... I would count the chick who drops into his thing, because they're about to work together. Okay. You would count her. What about Calvin, the technician guy? No. You wouldn't count him either? Really? Neither one of them? No. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Just throw my boy under not, the bus. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. I they literally got two pages. But the, you know they're important. Oh, yeah. that Because they were talking about VMS. And it looks, like, it looks like they're going to be the antagonists to who we're supposed to see as the protagonists in Skinner Sweet. You know what I mean? See, this is the, I like that you point that out. Because I love how this book has a very... Quentin Tarantino plot to it. Whoa! The bad guys are the good guys. You know? Yeah. This book is following Skinner Sweet, who is the bad guy. You know? He's the ex-vampire. Wants to be immortal. Will do anything for it. You know? And he's a bad guy. They're literally about to commit a crime. Yeah. A national crime. You know? National treasure. Nicolas Cage action. Yeah, really. And he's the good guy in this book. You know? And I just love that. That's something that I don't think we get enough of. Do you think that is to credit Scott Snyder? Yeah, definitely. I picked this book up just because it was Scott Snyder. Really? Yeah, I was going to say, you pointed out the artist of the last, well, the writer for the last book. I was going to point out Scott Snyder on this one. Only reason I picked this up, for real. I walked by, didn't even care about American Vampire. I saw Snyder in big black letters, (laughs) and I was like, that's my pick. That's a pick. (laughs) Didn't even know the title. I was like, that's it, Snyder, whatever he dropped. I will say, like, Snyder is basically, like, you know, DC Tinian. Like, he's the man. Like, even though Tinian works for, you know, kind of everybody, and mostly DC right now. Yeah. I love Snyder. Love this book. So many characters... Each one of them interesting. I just love the era it's in. Everyone's got sideburns. Yeah, it's God, it's, it's literally perfect kind of seventies gramosh. Like it's just everything just yeah, like, thrown it's together. Perfect. It's a little grimy. Yes, yes, just the right yes, amount. Just the right amount. Just, it really isn't over or overdone. Yeah, I love it. That's you know, it's such. It's not as grimy as Gotham. Yeah, but this is grimy as you would realistically expect the city to be. Yeah, you especially know? vampires. Yeah, well, it's New York. Yeah. What about uh, the part in this? Well, multiple times. If you're somebody who's read American Vampire before, you probably will understand more than we did because it does multiple times in the dialogue make calls back to stuff that happened. And what Jacob was saying earlier, kind of Skinner Sweet's uh, 
motivation in this first issue is trying to discover how to become immortal again. Yeah, that's the whole... And we don't even the... know how he lost his immortality. Yeah, I would love to know so how if, he lost it. Yeah, so if you're somebody who's read about Skinner Sweet or American Vampire before, more than likely you're going to fit, you know, like Cinderella's shoe into yeah. this book. Like, it's a perfect fit. And even without it fitting, Yeah, I was about it, to say, it was both perfect, of us, like we fine. said at the beginning of this, no prior American Vampire readings. They and, bring it up enough to where it makes you wonder, but not enough to make you lost. Right. You know, exactly. it brings That's it up per- just enough yes. to where you might Google it and read a synopsis to find out what happened. But not enough to where you're like, what What are they talking about? Right. And I feel like that's a problem a lot of people have with certain fandoms. You know, like Star Wars, for instance. Yeah. You know, I feel like a lot of stuff in Star Wars you have to know. It's probably magic. It might be. I mean, magic, I feel like, is one of those things that isn't bound by too much else. Like, magic has its own rules, but other than that, magic doesn't really follow rules. See, but magic isn't really in a lot of vampire stuff, to be honest. You would think it is, but a lot of modern vampire isn't really magical. Right. It's just uh, like a curse. You know, if if there is any kind of magic, it's just like hoodoo voodoo magic. You know, there's no real magic magic. Yeah. Like a witch cursed him or something like that. Right. But I don't I don't know. I, Skinner's the kind of person where he done someone wrong. Yeah. And they took it from I, him. I, I, yeah, he, that he seems that about right. snatched from him, you know? And that's something that now we've sat here and talked more about Skinner Sweet and uh, American Vampire <laughs> 1976, that when that goes off and that goes off, I'm looking it up. Like, I'm going to find out how he got his immortality snatched. I kind of don't want to Google. I want to... Well, I just know that unless it tells it in this six-part series, I won't know. Because, like, I won't dive into the old stuff. Yeah. Could I've I got way too much new to read, you know? I'll just watch a YouTube video on it. Do the Matthew way out of it. I was about to say, see, I might would be willing to do that. Let's watch a YouTube video all about American Vampire. Yeah. Well, what rating would you give this book? This is a four and a half. Whoa! I love American Vampire. American Vampire definitely has a new fan. I'd give this a three and a half, so together our combined strength is an eight. Nice. That's definitely number one. Yeah. That book was phenomenal. I'd recommend that to anybody, especially if you like, like last podcast where I said if you like cryptids. Wasn't that last podcast where we had a book on there about cryptids? What are cryptids? Like monsters and stuff. It was the Department of Truth. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. If you like that kind of stuff, which I've always really liked cryptids, and like cryptids are anything like Loch Ness Monster, Chupacabra, just like any I was going to say Sabretooth, but I meant uh, Bigfoot. Yeah, Bigfoot, or like <laughs> anything like vampires and stuff like that fit into it, too. Right, werewolves. Because they're just monsters. You know, any monster counts as a cryptid. Okay. And just like that whole realm of realistic cryptids, it's just fantastic to me. I love it. There used to be a cartoon about it on Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. Cannot remember the name of it. And it was about a family that hunt. That's what they did was they hunted cryptids. And the son oh. had a like staff with a little claw on it. It was a like tridactyl claw. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. No one ever remembers the name he of it. He says it was on Cartoon Network. It was on Cartoon Network. If anyone watches this and remembers, slide in my DMs. I need to watch it. Because I cannot remember. Bro, you got me shook about that. I know what you're talking about, yeah, but I can't and, think like, of it. Yeah, his best friend was Bigfoot or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, his mom had red and black hair. Dad had black hair. I can perfectly describe Dude, it. I, Every member yeah. of the family. He had a sister. They stayed in the cool base. Do not remember the name of the show. No idea. Sounds like Danny Phantom. It's not. But that would be epic. Danny God, Phantom was like TV show of the century. With your powers combined. From the captain. What? You shall summon forth Captain Planet. (laughs) 
Captain Planet. MJ, what are you talking about, my guy? God. <laughs> well, do you want to talk about some spec? That one piece? I don't piece? think any of my spec was really that interesting. What about my one piece? That's what I was going to say. If you want to talk about your piece, go ahead and talk about it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, check this out. So, for our one piece of spec, I just looked up comic book speculation and hit the news tab. The very first thing, three hours ago, reported by comicbooknews.net or comicbooknewsnet or something like that, uh... They had an article about Benedict Cumberbatch, the actor who plays Doctor Strange, announcing that he has been cast to appear in the third MCU Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. Uh, I mean, so was Elektra. Yeah, Elektra said that, uh, or Jamie Foxx said that he was going to reprise his role as Elektra, so that's super exciting, too, if you're into seeing returning villains. That's two characters that are returning to the MCU, well, continuing to be in the MCU. Right. You know? I think the... So, in the article, it explains pretty much what they're theorizing. Potentially, Spider-Man's looking for a new mentor. And since, you know, Tony had to do what he had to do at the end of Endgame, and he's no longer with us, Spidey still needs someone to look up to. Still needs someone to learn the ropes from. So, maybe he's maybe he's looking at Doctor Strange. I don't know exactly why, Maybe like that. just simply based on the fact that they both live in New York and it's you know easy access. So does Reed Richards. Yeah, and I would much rather have Reed yeah. Richards, but we don't have a Fantastic Four to go to. Well, that's to why yet. they should introduce it, because Spider-Man, Fantastic Four is a whole thing. So you think it would be better if they did the next Spider-Man movie, but instead of putting Doctor Strange in, they put the Fantastic Four in, and just let that be like, you know, let Fantastic Four get a total of... 15 minutes of screen time. They could have a whole movie. Well, I just mean in the Spider-Man movie. Yeah. I mean, they they could be in the movie as a whole, at least Reed Richards. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we don't need the rest of them. We just need the smart one. I feel you on that. Yeah, it could be kind of like... It could be kind of like how in the comics when Spidey uh, was confused about his black suit, he went specifically just to Reed while he was at work and was like, what is this? And then Reed found out it was a symbiote. I mean, Reed would be a good one. Doctor Strange would be a not Doctor Strange. Doctor <laughs> Doom would be a good one. Doctor you know? Doom, like would be Ant Man would, would be a good choice. Think there's Paul, so many. Paul Rudd, Ant Man is gonna teach Spider Man yeah. how to be Spider Man. Yeah, I don't. Ah. I mean, we. I'd way rather have Doctor Strange. Cool suits, when it comes to people that made cool suits, yeah, you know, invest their whole thing. I just don't think Doctor Strange because Doctor Strange is. The whole powers and stuff isn't really something that can be taught. Right. Could he teach them a lot of morals and stuff? I'm what do you sure. Mean, Doctor Doom learned how to do sparkly hands and like. No, you said strange last time. You said Doctor. Oh. You said you'd rather right have Doctor Strange than Ant-Man. Yeah, I would rather have Doctor Strange yeah. than Ant Man. But what I was saying is, you just said you can't really learn how to use like the Doctor Strange powers. And I was like, Doctor well, Doom can. learned the strange powers. But I feel like that takes away from Spider Man. And what makes Spider-Man so Spider-Man is the fact that he's a teenager with this suit. Right. You know? Yeah. He's not magical. Yeah, and he's not invincible by any means. Yeah, and that's what makes him special. Right. So him learning how to do that just takes away from him. I agree. I would still be all in to see, like, how Benedict Cumberbatch would mentor Spider-Man. Because, like you said, there's just all, they're almost kind of worlds apart. Because, you know, my guy Doctor Strange over here is, like, the Sorcerer Supreme and knows, you know, so much about magic and cosmic stuff. And then you've got Spider-Man over here who is just, like, 
pretty much one power away from being a street level hero. Like if man couldn't, he didn't have precognitive yeah. sense and couldn't stick on the wall, he'd be a street level hero. Yeah, he would be Luke Cage. Yeah, and that's what makes Spider Man special. But what I do think would be cool now that I think about it, and one way I feel like Doctor Strange has a mentor has a mentor could work is if Spider Man got really messed up and like was like physically injured to like his breaking point, just like Strange was yeah. before he was Strange. And had to have someone like mentor him through that, you know? Okay. Yeah. And like have to like teach him how to build himself back stronger. I feel like that would work. That would be cool. Phenomenally. But as what far- villain is going to do Spidey like that though? Sandman. What if it? Electro's in the oh. movie, so we oh. know he's going to do it, bro. No, seriously. <laughs> what if it was Scorpion because he's been in the other two movies and like yeah. people have been rumoring See? about him being like uh, part of the third movie. Yeah. So I think definitely you could get Scorpion. That's a villain that could easily do that to Ooh, him. Ooh, Matt Gargan could be like... Or Rhino could do that to him. Rhino could definitely do that. Doc Ock has done that to him. Facts. You know, Spider-Man Doc, Doc Ock put this man in such a freaking depression in those original movies. My man lost his powers. Like, Yeah. So, woo! you know, I feel like if that's what could... That's the one way I feel like he could mentor him. I like so that. I think you know like you said he got so depressed in one of the last and some of the previous ones he lost his powers so maybe they're gonna show that side of Spider Man again I would like that a renewed broken Spider Man I also think it's kind of interesting that I'm not I think Doctor Strange two multi in the multiverse of madness is supposed to come out a few months or maybe a year before this third Spider Man movie so I wonder how that movie will affect what happens in the Spider Man movie. Because they were talking about, as we were talking about earlier with Brian and stuff, that uh, that movie is supposed to be rated R. And that movie is, like, gonna be as close as you can get to a horror MCU movie. Probably before they do Blade. Like, when Phase 5 starts and they do Blade, if they don't make Blade, like, the furthest push the envelope PG-13, or just go ahead and give it the R rating it deserves, then they won't be doing Blade Justice. Yeah, I feel like it won't be doing Blade Justice, but I don't think they should make it a horror movie. No, not a horror movie, but it yeah. definitely should be scary. I don't think it should be scary, just like uh, slashery. Yeah. You know? Uh, but it needs to have some jump scares, or there needs to be moments where we yeah. think Blade's gonna die, or be, like, messed up, you know? And obviously, since he's battling cryptids most of the time, yeah, with a vampire yeah. specialization, you know, it would be really cool to see him get attacked by a group of them. Yeah, looking for another Iron Man. See, MJ gets it. We don't need Doctor Strange. We need Doctor Doom. It's the wrong doctor. I was about to say, if they're going to do another uh, Iron Man, then I, I'm sorry to say that they're probably going to plan in introducing Iron Heart to the MCU. Please don't. I wouldn't doubt that that's, you know, you'll that's the next Iron character you're going to get unless uh, Peter really does move in honor of his late mentor into the Iron Spider suit. If he does that permanently, then that's the only way you're going to get like a better iron selection. Because I, I totally see them in the next 10 years focusing a lot, in especially in the next 5 years, focusing on bringing like Miles Morales and Ghost Spider and Silk and Ironheart and freaking Dylan Brock and Normie. All of those I feel like are going to get brought into the comics in a very mainstream way. And then slowly into the movies, you're going to see the new characters. I think they should leave Miles animated that would be a good choice but i've heard rumors already this week earlier this week about so they're looking to cast miles morales for potentially that third star wars or 
Star Wars, that third Spider-Man MCU movie. See, I just don't think that'd be right. They're saying he's such a character, you know, like him, yeah, him himself, right? You know? Yeah, and it's already been portrayed, animated, you know, and it's hard and done to, really well. Yeah, it's hard to match that in a yeah. live action. Once something is done that well animated, boy, that movie better it better be phenomenal. They better I agree that this person, whoever they cast, better be named Miles Morales. <laughs> <laughs> His name literally is Miles Morales. Yeah. Savage. It, it better be pinpoint. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have to offer on this week's podcast. Um, we tried something new with both of these collectibles, both these statues. Uh, this is the Mandalorian 1-6 scale mini bust, and this is the... I'm pretty sure it's made by a Japanese company, so I'm not even going to try to butcher that last... Or that name for the company. But this is a glow-in-the-dark cosmic Ghost Rider 1-7th scale, I think. I think he's just a little bit taller with the base and all. But he's a 1-7th scale figure. And I've actually never seen it light up like this. So this is super-duper cool. But we just we might continue this pattern. We might not. We just wanted to see kind of how you guys felt about it. And maybe if you like it, then we'll each pick a cool statue to flank our books every week from here on out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is us signing off. Macadelic and Skelly Boy. Later.